Hey friends, have you ever made something or presented an idea in a meeting or drastically improved upon someone else's bad idea only to watch that person receive all the credit? And you're sitting there and you're waiting. You just know they're going to actually give you credit and they just smile. Isn't it maddening? Well, imagine how you might feel if you created an entire world in your mind and populated it with heroes and villains, gadgets and technology and costumes, a character people are still interested in more than 80 years later. Now imagine spending your life watching someone else receive credit and financial success for that creation. Whenever the character you brought to life embarks on a new adventure, someone else gets the credit. Someone else's name is attached in bold letters. Their name becomes synonymous with your life's work and you ultimately die in the shadow of the resulting worldwide success. That's the story of Bill Finger, a name you've probably never heard, and yet you're very familiar with the creation. The Dark Knight himself, Batman. This episode asks an important question. Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit for the things we cherish? And who gets the credit for the person we become and the person we're becoming? You is a very fluid concept right now. It's culture and film and art. It's music and interesting books. It's conversations and eavesdroppings. It's the impact of friends and complete strangers. The stuff that gets into the cracks of your life and makes you who you are. It's an attention collection. You already have one. The question is, how are you using it? In 1965, someone asked legendary comic book writer Bob Kane to finally set the record straight about who created Batman. There were rumors swirling that perhaps he didn't act alone. Someone else was involved in his process. So Bob writes this open letter to a fan magazine to clear things up. He said definitively, I, Bob Kane, am the sole creator of Batman. I created Batman in 1939. And he's right. He did create, and I quote, Batman. But wait, what about all that stuff about Bill Finger and being robbed credit? I'll explain. In 1939, Bob Kane was a young writer working in comics, and he witnessed the meteoric rise of a new character called Superman. He was inspired himself to dream up a new character. And so the name Batman came to mind. He sketched a character with red tights and boots and stiff wings. And there it is. Bob Kane created a character called Batman. But then he showed it to a friend who offered some very important suggestions. This friend changed the look of the character, gave him a civilian name, Bruce Wayne, set him in a place called Gotham City, and created his entire origin story. But when the first issue of the comic was published, only one name appeared on the cover. Robert Kane. 
and it remained this way. Comics and animated series and films and action figures all credited to Bob Kane, creator. Now, to be fair, Kane did help create later characters and story elements, but his contribution was far from singular. And it wasn't until 15 years after Finger's death that Bob Kane finally gave him some credit. In an article for SciFi.com, Mike Avila shares an excerpt from Kane's co-written autobiography, because of course it was co-written. He writes, Now that my longtime friend and collaborator is gone, I must admit that Bill never received the fame and recognition he deserved. Bob continues, He was an unsung hero. I often tell my wife, if I could go back 15 years before he died, I would like to say, I'll put your name on it now. You deserve it. Oh, shucks, Bob. You'd do that? (laughs) Hey, old pal, now that you're dead and gone and incapable of responding to or appreciating these words, thanks for making my career and success possible. You were a class act. In other words, Bill Finger got the finger, even in death. Now, on the one hand, it's a travesty that the mind behind almost every important element of the Batman story was in a box long before he ever got the credit he deserved. But then again, it's deeper than that, isn't it? There have been so many iterations of that story over the decades. So many creative contributions to Batman from so many people. When it comes to giving credit, we have to ask, to whom? For for which Batman? The different comic writers and graphic artists? The screenwriters? The filmmakers? The many actors who donned the cowl? Every actor, mind you, except George Clooney. Because, listen... I loved him in Ocean's Eleven, but Clooney's Batman was the worst Batman in cinematic history. And don't even get me started on Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. I can't. But let's move on, because this isn't just about Batman, is it? This is about every aspect of our lives. The question of who gets the credit touches everything. Every creation, every culture, and every community. You may remember this, but several years ago, a small-town Italian restaurant review went viral for reasons that will become clear in just a moment. I'll give you just a taste to whet your appetite, so to speak. After a late breakfast, I figured a late lunch would be fashionable. The place is impressive. It's fashioned in Tuscan farmhouse style with a welcoming entryway. There's seating for those who are waiting. My booth was near the kitchen, and I watched the waiters in white shirts, ties, black trousers, and aprons adorned with gold-colored towels. They were busy at midday, punching in orders and carrying out bread and pasta. It goes on, but my favorite line of the whole review is right there in the beginning. I figured a late lunch would be fashionable. I couldn't agree more. The review was quickly passed around the internet, 
And not just for the word smithery, though let's be honest, there is a never-ending possible full. But it was for the subject of the review. Marilyn Haggerty, then an 85-year-old columnist for a small-town newspaper in North Dakota, wrote an earnest review about Olive Garden. Olive Garden, a chain that has been around since the early 80s. A restaurant known less for its cuisine and more for keeping the breadsticks coming. But people loved her review because she wrote it as if she had been the special guest at the new brainchild of a Michelin chef. People also thought it was funny because Olive Garden is not most people's idea of authentic Italian. Or as comedian Jim Gaffigan has said, Olive Garden is Italian for meh. But this brings up an interesting question. What is authentic Italian? What comes to mind when you think of good Italian food? A savory tomato sauce recipe passed down through the generations? Well, in his book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Mankind, Yuval Harari shows us that tomatoes actually aren't native to Italy. They're from Mexico. The same is true of the chili peppers we associate with Indian food and the cocoa, which seems synonymous with the Swiss. Yuval tells us that these key ingredients reached Europe and Asia only after the Spaniards conquered Mexico. But does that take away from the authenticity of any of these ethnic cuisines? I don't think so. Because even though Italy wouldn't have had tomatoes to make sauce without bumping into Mexico, none of us would have had spaghetti if it wasn't for Italy. This is how culture and creativity is built. It's integration. But there's a difference between adaptation and appropriation. I'll explain what I mean, but first, let's move this idea from food to music. Appropriation is what Pat Boone did to Little Richard's song, Tutti Frutti. Boone took a song that's vibrant and soulful and almost impossible not to dance to and turned it into one of the whitest songs these ears have ever heard. Ha-womp, ba-ba-loo-bop, ba-bop, bang, It's ridiculous. He took a song that didn't receive the acclaim it deserved because it was written and performed by a black man in the 1950s and repackaged it for a white audience. That's an example of appropriation. Adaptation is what Whitney Houston did to Dolly Parton's song, I Will Always Love You. Now first, it has to be said, Dolly Parton is a legend who walks among us. She's a force of nature we don't deserve, frankly, and a woman we don't respect nearly enough. She's a musical genius. Her songwriting ability is unmatched. It's otherworldly. And she's such a talented musician and performer. But what Whitney did to that song, I mean, come on, it's untouchable. Whenever I see someone try to cover that song on one of those singing competition shows, I'm always like, why would you do that to yourself? I almost want to mute the TV. I'm scared to hear what comes out. When Dolly released that song in the 70s, it hit the top 
of the country charts. It was a massive success in its own right. And then Whitney came along and adapted it for the film The Bodyguard. And it broke all kinds of records. It became the best-selling single by a woman in music history. This is what happens when someone takes the generous contributions of others, values these contributions, honors them, and then adds to them, brings something new and authentic. Everything you treasure in this life is a result of such collaborations. And everything valuable you bring into the world is an extension of the same phenomena. When you're authentic, it's not because you're original. It's not because everything you do is cutting edge or brand new. And it's not because you're the sole creator. To quote Kirby Ferguson, everything is a remix. Almost no one is original, but we can all be authentic. You're authentic because you take the elements and influences at your disposal and adapt them to fit you. You add to the narrative. You honor those who came before you and you use that inspiration to take their contributions to another level. And you give credit all along the way. We can do this in our work, in our relationships, in parenting and in leading. We might remix a few things, but we certainly don't write all the lyrics. And that's actually good news because it removes so much pressure. So next time you see someone living in a way that inspires you, ask them who inspired them. Next time you read a motivating book, just peek in the back at the footnotes. See how many ideas helped that author form her new idea. Next time you discover a song that you can't stop singing, track down that artist's favorite artists. And perhaps next time you watch a movie you love, stick around for the credits. Not to see if there's a post-credit scene, but to marvel at the amount of collaboration required to make the magic happen. So many people whose names you won't remember, whose faces will never make the poster, but who nevertheless poured their hearts into the project to make it possible. And of course, the same is true for your life. You are the face on the poster. You are the name on the marquee. But you didn't get here by yourself. Because we don't become ourselves by ourselves. And it would be a mistake to take all the credit.